I didn't feel much of a difference one week after taking a Darnix, and after 12 days of no results at all, I was beginning to succumb to my doubts. On the 13th day, however, the effects revealed themselves practically overnight. To my pure astonishment, Adarnix had delivered on its insurmountable promises. The next 13 months had been like a new life. I felt invigorated, refreshed, and renewed. I had looked 20 years younger, color had returned to my hair, and the soreness through my body had disappeared. My cheeks filled with color again, and my skin was smooth to the touch. I felt renewed, revitalized, ready for anything. I looked to the future with excitement, knowing that my time with my loved ones would stretch far beyond what I had resigned myself to in the past. For a while, it felt like I was living within the dream. It was all too good to be true. I should have listened to my gut, because it all came crashing down for me, and for everyone else who took the drug, as horrifying news flooded the media. Exactly 13 months after I took it, news of the first person to have been dosed with a Darnix had been found dead, lying still on the floor of his home. Blood and saliva had been leaking out of his gaping mouth, a frozen expression of horror smeared across his face. Attached to his tongue was a small, round tumor, and strangest of all, he had lost all colors in his eyes. His pupils and iris were still present, but the iris had turned into the color of milk, deprived of any pigmentation it once had. Instead, a watery film coated his eyes and ran down his face like tears. After that, the same had happened to the second person to test the drug, and the next, and the next. Widespread panic had set in covered from all angles, by CNN, Fox, BBC, and every news outlet there was. The families of the ones dosed with the drug had demanded explanations from MYSRKX, yet they had shut down all forms of communication. People quickly made the connection, causing those who took Adarnix to descend into even more panic. Nothing would stop the deaths though, as the elderly were poisoned in batches, they died in batches as well. The team at MYSRKX had all been found dead. The police tried to keep the details out of the press, but they were leaked anyway. Everyone who had worked on Adarnix committed suicide, either by hanging, overdosing, or shooting themselves. The common detail in all the investigations was that there were strange drawings near their corpses. They were akin to pentagrams, as the photos were leaked online. Runes and stars carved into the floors or walls. One, however, was never found. Mishiro Shinozaki, the mind behind all of this, had disappeared. There was no trace of her to be found anywhere. She effectively left nothing but death as her legacy. The death toll continued to rise to the thousands as families all over the world grieved parents, grandparents, and friends they had lost. As if life had turned into a giant Rube Goldberg machine, one person falling on the next like a domino effect. The corpses were taken to government facilities in a desperate bid to understand what was happening or find a way to counteract the deaths, all while there were still those who were poisoned with the cursed drug standing, while there were still lives to save. Nothing became of it though, and the number of those still alive were dwindling. 
My daughter blamed herself for my impending demise, pleading for my forgiveness. She was not to blame, though. It was my desire to live that ironically led to my life being cut shorter. This was our punishment for meddling with the unbeatable force at his death, for playing God. I spoke to specialists, medicine experts, hell, even witch doctors. I asked if there was a way to purge the drug from my body, but from their perspective, there was nothing to purge. The drug had practically fused itself into my blood, becoming a permanent part of my DNA. As the estimated day of my death drew closer, I said my farewell to those in my life. My loving daughter, whose tears stained my clothes. My beautiful grandchildren, who I wish I could have sheltered from the horrors happening around them. I had made peace with myself, choosing not to focus my attention on regret or negativity. Instead, I prepared for the day of my death, hoping it would be swift. I decided to barricade myself in my home. Everyone knew the gruesome death of those who took the accursed drug, and I do not want my family to see me that way. It was a sight nobody I loved should have to see. It was the eve of my estimated day of death. I was seated at the dinner table half-heartedly chewing my dinner. I treated myself to my favorite meal, but today everything tasted bland and unsavory. With a frustrated sigh, I stood up from the table and dumped my plate in the sink. I glanced at the clock. It was 9.30 p.m. There wasn't much left for me to do. I've already said goodbyes to everyone in my life and signed the necessary papers to leave everything I owned to Tammy. All I had to do now was to prepare for bed, possibly for the very last time, and hoped that my sleep would obviate any pain I would feel upon my death. I went about my night routine, drained of my energy like a zombie. I finally plopped into bed, my thoughts clouded by the insanity of everything that has transpired. Strangely, the victims' deaths all began exactly at 12 a.m. How could a drug ever be that precise? I felt a wave of deep anger wash over me, at the thought of Mishido, that monster. Whether she intended to or not, she put thousands upon thousands of people to death, and she's too much of a coward to even show her face. Did she know? Did she know that she would be dooming innocent people who wanted nothing more than to live their lives at least a little longer? Did she know this when she sent me that package? What have I ever done to her, to deserve such a terrible fate, to be ripped from my loved ones? My eyes snapped open as I completely gave up on sleep. The thoughts I were having were beginning to be too much, decimating whatever was left of my sanity. I glanced at the clock, tears clouding my vision. It read 11.56. I had a mere four minutes left to live. It was stupid, but I couldn't look away, and I watched as the seconds crawled by, approaching midnight. 11.57. Eleven fifty-nine. My eyes followed the little hand of the clock as it inched its way closer and closer to the number. Twelve. Nothing. I didn't start vomiting. I didn't feel sick. 
nor did I actually feel any different. I watched the clock change at 12.01. This is torture. Don't give me hope. Just kill me already. The moment I mentally screamed my death to the universe, I heard the loft window across from my bedroom shatter to pieces. A sudden and paralyzing sense of dread seized my body. Something felt wrong, out of the ordinary. Although the window could have broken for a number of perfectly rational reasons, a voice in my head screamed that this was anything but normal, and to take action immediately. As quickly and as quietly as I could, I slipped out of bed and went into my closet. My previously noiseless closet door had suddenly become the loudest thing in my entire house. I muttered profanities to myself as I crouched into the darkest corner of the closet and waited. My breathing was irregular, and I could hear my pulse pounding in my ears as the dread only got worse. Somewhere in the house, I could faintly hear the sound of... walking? On the carpeted floor... I hoped and wished that it was just a burglar who would take what they wanted and leave, but I knew. My intuition told me that this was no mere thief. My already overworked heart almost beat out of my chest as I heard a desperate scratching on the other side of the door. The knob jiggled, but the door remained in its closed position. I'm glad I had locked it, but I wasn't sure if that would be enough to keep the intruder out. Scratching and the attempts to work the doorknob gradually faded, eventually coming to a stop. I had allowed myself to breathe after holding my breath for what felt like years. I didn't let my guard down immediately. I sat still for a while, listening intently. Before I could decide if it was safe to come out, the room was filled with a strange sort of slithering noise. I peered through the small slits of the wood of the closet door. Blood suddenly began to drip from the keyhole of the bedroom door, as an awful squelching noise invaded my ears. To my absolute horror, a bloody thin strand of what looked like flesh and muscle wormed its way through the keyhole and stretched a few feet into the bedroom. Suddenly, the mass of flesh began to fold in on itself, curling and molding into a vaguely oblong shape. It eventually created a horrible face created completely out of flesh and veins. I had never seen anything so repulsive, and it clamped my hand over my mouth as to prevent any gasps from slipping through. The head slowly turned from left to right, carefully scanning my room. Gore dripped from its bloody face, landing on the floor, creating a sort of puddle of blood and loose flesh beneath it. The bloody head tilted, swaying back and forth. The head extended further into the room, held by a pulsing strand of flesh. It peeked into corners, under the nightstand, and even under the bed. It then dawned on me what it was doing. It was searching for something. It was searching for me. Its gaze eventually landed on the closet I was hiding in. Its eyes were... unlike any animal or human I've ever seen. Making eye contact with the bloody head was a grave mistake, however. I saw them widen, its pupils dilating. Tears flowed freely down my face as the terror I experienced only got worse and worse. The face's mouth dropped open and screeched an unearthly scream, one that had me covering my ears in an attempt to block out the noise. Yeah! 
it wasn't just the sheer volume I was afraid of. It was also that along with the scream came dainty whispers in my head. Whispers of recognition. The head retreated back into the keyhole and the door began to shudder in its frame as the great force slammed against it. I couldn't contain the fear, dread, and despair I have held on to for so long. I screamed with the same bravado as the creature. The wooden door began to warp and split in some areas, held together only by the metal hinges. It was going to break through at any moment, but the shock prevented me from moving my body. A twitching figure burst through the destroyed door and began an animalistic, crawling charge towards the closet. It crashed through the other side of my closet, becoming entangled in my clothes. I screamed in tandem with its thrashing as it struggled with my once orderly garments. I stared in dumbfounded horror as half of its body was in the closet and while the other half was pinned by the closet door. I didn't even have time to register what was happening, but my survival instinct, which I thought was long dead, had me tumble out of the closet, running out of the bedroom down the hallway faster than I could think. I caught a glimpse of the creature in the hallway mirror. Its skin was rotted and practically peeling, with festering sores and boils peppered all over its body. Matted, greasy hair moved through the air as the head it was attached to moved and contorted in unnatural ways. It was wearing what seemed like black funeral garb, which was torn and soiled by dirt. The loud crack of wood breaking in half emanated from my room, only causing me to sprint faster. One thing I didn't regret about taking the Darnix was the return of the old strength and stamina that left me long ago. I bounded down the stairs towards the first floor, ducking into the kitchen. Crouching behind a counter, I tried listening to the creature's howls, but it was eerily silent. I could only hear the wind entering my house through the broken door on the second floor. Without rising completely, I swept my hand across the top of the counters I was hiding behind, groping for the knife block. When my hand collided against the wood, I reached further up and grasped the cool handle of the knife. I pulled it out of the block and held it close to me. If I was going to die, then it would be with that creature taking a knife through its heart. I put those thoughts out of my mind, though, and focused on my plan for survival. I left my phone upstairs, so calling for help wasn't an option. Hopefully, my neighbors already heard the screaming and called the police by now. But I can't depend on them reaching me before the monster did. No. My only chance was to escape. The front door was on the other side of the house. But if I moved quickly and quietly, I might just make it. If the creature remains docile. I scurried through the dining room and snuck into the living room, avoiding the floorboards I knew would creak beneath my weight. I crouched in front of the sofa, trying to hide from view. The front door was close, but before I could move... The dreaded stomping of limbs against the floor returned. I looked around wildly, trying to find the creature, but it was nowhere in sight. I had looked in every direction, trying to find it. It wasn't anywhere I had looked, but there was one direction I had neglected. I snapped my head upwards, just in time to see the creature descend upon me. I managed to point the knife above my head just before its body collided with mine. Warm, fetid blood gushed out of the stab wound staining my clothes a brownish, dark red. The creature cried out in pain, its voice drilling into my skull. I threw the thing off of me and made a mad dash for the door. I extended my arm, reaching for the door handle, only to feel a force knock me over and pin me down with inhuman strength. I stared into the creature's eyes. It's terrible, 
hollow eyes. This was the first time I had the displeasure of seeing its face up close. The filmy eyes, the rotted flesh, the tears that trickled down its cheeks, it all clicked into place. I was staring at a victim of a Darnick's lacrima, someone who must have taken the drug, died, and has come back for me. I tried pulling my eyes away, but it held my face and made sure my gaze was focused on its eyes, and then blackness engulfed my world. But in the void of unconsciousness, a familiar voice echoed throughout my blank mind. No. Not him. Dad! Wake up, Dad! I woke up to Tammy tearfully embracing me and laughing as I lay in my bed. It took me a few seconds to realize why she was so happy. I was still alive. The estimated day of my death came and went. I jumped with joy along with my daughter but the events of the night before came flooding back. I went to the window the creature broke, but it was completely intact. Maybe it all had just been a manic nightmare fueled by fear. I allowed myself to believe that, at least for now. We cautiously waited a few more days, but I remained healthy. Even as more deaths of those who took a Darnix happened right on schedule, I continued to live. I finally allowed myself to feel some hope that there were others like me who would live despite taking the drug. But that's when I realized one key difference between me and the other victims. Their dose of Adarnix had come directly from MYSRKX, while my dose had come from Mishido herself, who was still missing ever since the deaths began. The kit she sent me contained the positive effects of Adarnix without its deadly consequence. Did she know that this would happen? Why did she decide to spare me? The question just never seemed to end, with the answers to them gone with the wind, like Mishiro. The world continued to grieve for those they had lost, and everyone thought they had been through the worst. All those dosed with the Darnix had died, finally putting an end to their fear and suffering. We thought we could finally move on and heal, but Mishiro had yet another sick surprise for the world. Nobody was ready for the day when the corpses of those killed by the drug, those who were supposed to sleep in peace, began to dig themselves out of their graves, gaping holes that continually leaked the fluid of which constituted a Darnix lacrima replaced their eyes. They behaved exactly like the creature I encountered that night. They all possessed supernatural strength, speed, and senses, which they used to attack the living. Nobody was safe from their wrath. They killed with their bare hands and raw strength leaving mangled corpses in their wake. Other times, they wouldn't even have to lay a finger on the victim. Anyone who stared into their eyes for long enough would seize and convulse, and would soon grow completely still, trapped in an unresponsive, vegetative state. I'm taking my family somewhere safe, before my city has more dead than living. As we flee to destruction and chaos, I try to remain strong, even with the possibility of death around every corner. Not for my own sake, but for Tammy and my grandchildren. I'd give my life to protect them until the very end. I owed them that. It was my, and many others, selfish desire to live beyond their years that deprived the youth of this world any chance of living a normal life. 
This was what we had brought upon ourselves, for disrupting the natural cycle of life and death, and perhaps what awaited beyond. Armed with one purpose, those who returned set out, their lust for death ironically becoming the only thing that allowed them to walk the earth once more.